0: Welcome to the Living in Alignment podcast. My name is Amy Landry. Through a collage of conversations, here we distill mindful living and timeless wisdom within a modern, everyday context. Thank you for being here. Lalita Ramona Yagnik is a Kalari practitioner, Kalaripayatu instructor, yoga teacher, musician and naturopath. She began studying Kalari healing and martial arts in 2009 in Australia. Since then, she has made several trips to India to study and train with her teacher and guru, Satguru Hanamandas, the founder of the Kalariyal Dharmikam Ashram in Kerala. She is currently practicing and teaching key Kalaripayatu exercises, forms, open combat sequences and weapon forms, developing focus in the mind and body while building a strong foundation through warm-ups and basic practices is integral to her training. Originally from India, Lalita has lived and studied in various countries such as Brazil, Singapore, India and Japan. She is passionate about health and well-being, employing kalari in her personal life. Lalita sees Kalari as a multimodal healing system and is a firm believer that using Kalari methods, one can synergize the body, mind, and spirit. And with that, Lolita, welcome. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Can we dive in and start with a little bit of your backstory and maybe how you connect the dots to coming here and being on this path?
1: Yeah, sure. Okay, well, my story is quite long actually, but um, if I kind of shorten it, I guess I... As a kid, I was always interested in natural medicines and I was always out in the garden uh, playing with berries and crushing them and then showing them to my family and trying to make them eat them um, and, and um, kind of play with them. And then I was always quite creative and, and making up games and I was pretty sporty as well as, as a kid and as a teenager as well. And I started training Taekwondo. When I was living in Singapore and then I got in, I was actually studying um, business and marketing and I wanted to be an economist when I finished high school in India and I came back to Australia and I started working in um, in business development and sales and I set up a IT company with my father actually who also worked a long time in IT And I actually became sick. And in that, I looked for some healing modalities. And one of them was naturopathy. And I found a naturopath. And she helped me uh, feel better and start a, a really strong healing journey. And through that, I decided to give up my life in business and marketing and sales and start studying naturopathy. And so I got into that. And actually, in the background of that, I'd been traveling around the world and on one of my trips to India, I found in Goa, in the south of India, uh, this man that sold uh, different kinds of gems. And so I started uh, making jewelry with semi-precious stones and resins. And on my trips in Australia and other places in the world, I started selling them. And through that as well, so I was doing that. And then at the same time, I was working in business and marketing and business development. And I was getting all this great feedback from people about the healing energies of the stones. And so then when I got sick, that was like everything kind of exploded. And I thought, wait, what am I doing? I really love helping people. And I could see that was already happening. And then I started studying naturopathy. After I got better, and I was kind of in my first year of naturopathy natu- natu- here in Australia, I ended up going to South America for about seven years. And on one of my journeys back to Australia, I found my first teacher in Kalari. And uh, he had a Kalari healing center in Hyatt. And he was a student of Swami Satguru Hanuman Das in India. So I came back just to do another, to see my family and to do a semester at uni and then I wanted to get a job and I was looking for something a little more traditional and I, uh, I ended up finding Kalari as a healing modality, so the massage and the treatments, which is similar to the Ayurvedic massages and treatments and has that philosophy also infused in it. And then he told me about the martial aspect of it and at the time I was also fire twirling and using staffs and kind of all came together in my experience of of martial arts and healing and I was like this is what I've got to do so since then I haven't looked back to it, back with Kaledi and I just love it and I find so much um, harmony in within myself and then just sharing it with other people as well
0: So how did it come to be that you started teaching Kalaripayatu here in Australia?
1: Well, I came back from that long journey in South America and I uh, actually Peter Noblet, who was my first teacher, he decided to move on and he wanted to give the class to somebody and I said, you know, I put my hand up and I talked to my teacher, to Swamiji in India, and he said, yeah, you're ready. Take the class and start teaching. And it was really interesting because I hadn't have, I didn't have so much experience teaching at that time, but it really deepened my experience um, as a practitioner and as a student as well. And so that was in 2014. I started teaching. I also had practiced uh, karate when I was in Japan, uh, when I was studying in university uh, in Monash University in Melbourne, and I'd gone to live in Japan for a year. I was studying in the um, the uh, Osaka University uh, dojo, and um, uh, then I was also studying before that actually some yoga when I was in high school in India as well.
0: Yeah, right. It's such a an. A- interesting fusion of so many different but complementary modalities. Yeah. So at the main at the moment your main focus is essentially teaching and sharing and growing the Kalari community in Australia. Would that be correct?
1: Yeah. Yep. I currently we're we're having well because of the current COVID situation, we've actually moved all our classes online. So doing that and I've been doing workshops around Australia as well uh, and also basically Practicing the, mo- the healing modality as well. So, when we say Kalari, uh, we're usually referring to the healing modality and the healing modalities and also the martial arts. Martial arts we refer to as Kalari Payat and then the Kalari Marma on the healing aspect. So, both of those yeah, go together. And as practitioners, we're helping ourselves with our own practice uh, of the martial arts and all of the yogic and pranayama that we do yogic activities and pranayama that we do to then be able to help people with the other modalities the healing modalities as well Mm -hmm. yeah and then of course i'm also teaching and sharing that as well
0: yeah wonderful so I, i would love to dig more into that for sure but um before we transition that way as you reflect upon your journey all these years of how you've kind of essentially come to this point. Is there any book that you can consider in the past that's really um, influenced your trajectory or, yeah, just directed you in a really strong way or something significant that you've read?
1: Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. Um, I think one of the books that changed my path was actually The Alchemist by Paul Coelho, And that I read that when I was in India and I was at a turning point when I was doing this business with my father, and after I read that, I wasn't sure what I was actually doing in that time, and that was before I realised I was unwell, and I uh, ended up reading it actually in one day, and that's rare for me to read a whole book in one day. Um, I usually like to simmer on it for a little while. And it was just so interesting that reading about somebody else's journey and their path. I don't know if you've read that book before, Um, but it's just such a beautiful journey and so many adventures. And it started to, I I remember that moment very clearly because when I finished the book at the end of the day, I just thought, what am I doing? I'm really young. I have so many adventures to live. And I feel like I'm living a life of maybe a 40-year-old right now. And there was so much adventure that got sparked, that, that kind of, was stirring in me, uh, reading about somebody else's beautiful adventure and then trying to find the true meaning of that. And there's so much talk of soul connection and, and kind of mystical energies in that book that it really, yeah, just a fire kind of started growing inside me to really look at what I'm doing. And that would have been in 2004, 2005. So quite a while ago, yeah, right. Uh, but that was a big turning point because that a couple of months later was when I ended up enrolling in a uh, naturopathy degree.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was two thousand and six that I actually read The Alchemist. My now husband gave it to me when we were abroad. We'd only just met, really, and I do think that that was a pretty pivotal book as well. And I'm sure it is has been for Lots of thousands of people around the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty magnificent book. I can definitely definitely relate to that for sure. So, um are you are you reading anything right now that you think is quite significant or potent that you'd like to share?
1: Um I'm actually reading a more technical book right now that I'm well it, I'm rereading it. I'm kind of it's on it's right next to my on my desk um right next to my computer so it's it's actually Marma it's studying the Marmas by uh, David Frawley. Um so it's um over done marma therapy that's the name of the book. And it's just a beautiful reference guide. I don't know if you've seen that book. Um, it's it's so such a nice reference guide. And sometimes I'm just opening it up and uh, looking at different you know parts of the you know each marma and then what they're actually descri- He's actually describing and and the connections to different aspects of Ayurvedic uh, philosophy and then also the physiology as well, anatomy physiology. So. That's been really interesting for me Uh, most recently because one of the things I've been working on a lot is rehab injuries uh, and also just generally helping people with stress and anxiety. And because I can't do massage on people uh, right now, um, also including, um, uh, I guess, sharing that information with some of my clients and students so that they can work out how to do some of their own self-massage and get through this time. So that's been great. Um, plus also it's it's been such a good book to reference for injuries and then connecting them through the body as well. So, yeah, that's a bit technical. It's not as enlightening, I guess, from, uh, you know, just a general perspective. But for me, that's surely one of the things I like to have, yeah.
0: Dr. David Foley has so many good books. Like if anybody listening, you know, Ayurveda, Marama Therapy, like just, yes, he's a wealth of knowledge and it's such a blessing that we have access to that knowledge through through his work and through his writings. Absolutely. Um, okay. So let's dive in now. Can we speak a little bit about Kalari and Kalaripayatu? Um, yeah. You know, I was introduced to it through one of my teachers, Colina Shakti, and um, she studies with her teacher in kerala and then of course i read when the body becomes all eyes yes uh, the book by philip zarelli and then i did a workshop with alana gregory whom you know uh, here in newcastle i think that was i don't even know a number of years ago now yeah so that the 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 interest in the system and the practices very much complements my own personal interest in ayurveda and yoga and even even odc dance um But if someone was to ask me really what it is, besides saying, okay, it's a South Indian martial art form from Kerala, Kerala, I don't feel like I could give it any justice. So, would you mind kind of explaining Kalaripayattu, Kalari, and however you think is um, relevant and, yeah, digestible for someone who probably doesn't really have any understanding or awareness of it?
1: Yep. Sure. Um, there's so much to talk about, Kaladi and Kaladi Um <laughs> I always say that in the beginning of my workshops or classes, like just let's, ha- let's have a separate discussion because otherwise we never get to the movement part. But um, <laughs> if if we're just going to talk about, so we at a very basic level, when we say Kaladi, then I usually refer to it as a healing, ancient Indian indigenous healing system and martial art system. So we... In the ancient times, they would go out and fight the warriors and they would have to prepare their body and mind and, and heal them, themselves with stretching and uh, vital energy point therapy and using different herbal poultices and herbal oils and medicines and breathing techniques Uh, And, of course, the different kinds of diet and lifestyle practices. They would go out and fight and they would, because they studied the vital energy point, the main vital energy points, they would be able to then attack their opponents and defend their own. And then if they had somebody who had been attacked, they would be able to revive them using that vital energy point therapy. And then they would come back and heal themselves using those same modalities. In that way, the Kalari warriors, from which are traditionally come from the Nair castes in India, and, and that's, of course, one historical account, they would use both the healing modalities and their awareness of fighting techniques and vital energy points to then go out and defend their space. So, that's one of the origins and how it can be easily understood. It's like, how could you have these two things come together? We have seen Kalari develop and evolve alongside yoga and Ayurveda. They come from Vedic, similar Vedic traditions. And we can go back to Vedic uh, scriptures and see that there was warfare, there was archery, there was all these uh, battles that happened um, and even in different kind of Indian mythology, mythological accounts as well. And they were using Kalani in Those account in in those uh, in that history, so we've got a lot of history that's kind of developed it to what it is. Um, It is Kaladi Paiat is a martial art. Kaladi, the Kaladi is actually the training pit, and Paiat means to train. So we're training in that this pit, which is about four feet underground, Um, and we are studying how to train our body and mind to come into unison we are training also as my teacher swamji always reminds us to be better people so one of the misconceptions that we see a lot of is oh you're, you're fighting you're training to kill each other you're training to hurt each other we're actually training to develop more body control more mastery of our mind um using weapons using body forms and movement and doing that in a space with other people so we can find harmony with movement in the space and then of course mutual respect for each other as well because we're interacting and we're literally sweating you know right next to each other or on each other you know so I think that's important to understand about Kalarī, and then bring it into even the context of why we're practicing it today. Kalarī Pai, sorry, the Kalarī marma chakīlsa. That's looking at a whole lot of different kinds of therapies to help rejuvenate and revitalize the body, and also we can treat different kinds of ailments as well. Traditionally, as in Ayurveda, we had a branch where you know we were doing actually chiropractic work as well, and There was also surgery and there was like lots of different aspects. They're not practiced as much today because you generally need a specific degree or qualification, of course, for insurance and all the other things. But uh, we used to be able to do all of those kind of practices as well. And there's, I guess, even though it developed alongside Ayurveda, we've also got this strong Siddha Vedic influence as well. So really a lot on rejuvenation, but then also using uh, very indigenous kinds of medicines, so uh, feathers and bones and lots of different kinds of very rustic, I guess, kind of ingredients that you might not see in a normal uh, kind of, uh, I guess, place where medicines are being made. You, you're getting, we're sourcing these things from all kinds of places. So that's something I found very interesting in culinary practices. And, and calorie medicine-making as well. So we've got oils, we've got massage techniques, we've got different pranayamas, we've got uh, all of our yogic practices, observance of you know how we're acting, our yama, niyama concepts as well, how we're actually behaving um, and treating ourselves and what we're doing to help cleanse ourselves. And that all comes within the Kalari Marmachi Gilsa along with, of course, a very strong focus, uh, as the name suggests, of the vital energy point therapy, the marma therapy that we practice. And and that takes both the kalari part and the kalari marma chikilza takes, you know, a lifetime to master, of course. <laughs>
0: like everything from Vedic times. Yeah. In a, and this would be um, a very um, non-expertise simplified way, but just to kind of summarize, so essentially when we look to the physical modalities, the healing modalities, it's really very much one and the same with that which we know from the Ayurvedic, you know, system or application. You know, it's it's not like they're even separate. It's it's all, you know, as is everything in India, it's all part of one and the same family really. Um, But then you've got that um, element of the perhaps philosophical and spiritual component of um, the intention behind yoga, which is the union of the body and the mind to really – refine our focus and our attention and you know refine the mind essentially would that be correct in saying yes in that way
1: yes and and when we connect that with our physical practice then we're doing all of our you know intensive physical training um and looking at lots of different all of the aspects of the martial training um and that also includes of course yes the pranayama and and trying to merge our body-mind together.
0: Yes. And so why do you think, um, you know, Kalari and Kalaripayatu Kalari and really these ancient Indian art forms essentially and systems, you know, why do you feel like they're so important, particularly as a teacher um, yourself and, you know, bringing it into a Western context? what What value do you think it brings or why
1: is it so important for us? Yeah, well, um, that's an interesting question. I think, uh, well, one of the things I'm like, wait, I really love this, what I'm doing. I always question, it's like, how come I love it so much? I feel, I really feel it inside me to share what I'm doing. But I think also they're very ancient, uh, very ancient practices. Sometimes we see, a lot of the time actually, we see movements that are, we, it looks like we are creating sacred geometry. We're cre- creating these beautiful patterns. Uh, many other modern practices also have that, but I see them quite. I see it quite. Um, I guess it's it's in a lot of different aspects of our training. So that's one interesting aspect that I think is important for us to keep going. And, and on that note, it's it's surely we're losing, you know, we've lost a lot of um, our relationship with these practices. And so keeping them alive actually helps keep them going. Uh, practicing them and sharing them keeps them going um, because we are, there's a there's only a few of us outside of India actually practicing Kalluripa from different schools as well. And because everyone's doing that, it's actually allowing the world to to get access to them and keep them going and develop them. And like anything, it's going to develop. Um, they bring a very strong, in these practices, and I believe lots of uh, other Eastern practices, we're learning in a gurukul system. So we're learning directly from the teacher. I think that's really important these days because a lot of time we're finding, we can look up on Google or online or do an online course and we can see everything from anybody there. We don't necessarily, we're not guided by somebody. And I think it's important that we continue this kind of teaching of, oh, I find somebody that I like and I'm going to learn from them for however long that is uh, and and see what, what I can actually gain from being guided by them, not only on what I want to learn, but a lot of time it's what the teacher feels that the student needs to learn for their development. And that's very rare. I, I really appreciate my teacher for giving me what I need um, and and many of the time not what I want um, to learn. And that has helped me not only on um, my um, developing patience, but then calm as well with how to step forward. And I think that's something we're lacking uh generally in our lives this is because we have so much access to information so ever we we want to learn more consistently but we just got to step back and practice repetition of what we're doing and that's uh you know something that I I see mainly with these kind of um traditional practices and especially culinary we have a very big focus on practicing the things, you know, many, many times um, before we actually get to step to the next level. So mm. that's, that's surely the main things that I see is like so important. And, and we have so much be- so many beautiful um, practices within Kalari and I've seen within other Eastern practices that are about respect And giving respect to ourselves, to others, to earth, even if it's through some kind of body movement that we do at the beginning, some kind of prayer or um, acknowledgement, we're usually always doing that. And that's, I just feel even that part is so important to share, at least if we can impart that, then we're we're helping people just to step and stop for a moment. We can call that being mindful or whatever, you want to call it We just stop and be like okay I'm here to practice I'm giving respect to myself and others and yeah yes yeah
0: it's a it's a it's a slowing down and as you said it literally the word came into my head when you said it and the word patience and it's teaching us the um humility to devote ourselves to a lifetime practice and as you said we all want things now we all want things quickly and these Indian art forms and, work, you know, really doing things as traditionally as perhaps we can in our modern world working with teachers, it really enforces us to, I guess, yeah, be humble enough to wait our turn to be given things when our teacher sees fit and that's really odd for most people and I think that these approaches cultivate great discipline and with discipline creates a sense of integrity toward, you know, with oneself and, you know, the beauty of, even in classical Indian dance as well as Kalaripayatu, there is always the pranam, like we're at the start, there's that reverence to teacher, to the earth. Yes. And that in itself is lacking, I yes. think. And that what's what I think that's probably what brings so much connection and, and depth for a lot of people. That's what's so captivating perhaps with these yes. systems and these art forms. You know, and, and, and speaking of tradition. And perhaps let's talk about tradition and or ritual. you know what does that look like in kalari and Kalarepayatu with respect to the teacher, or perhaps your experience, particularly when you're at the ashram and your training, or maybe how that translates into your life here in Australia as well?
1: yeah, I guess like in in the ashram we are and and what I try to do here as well in classes and even in my own practices, we're keeping in that in, in the format of we're going to do our discipline every day and you said that really perfectly it's like it's really also about developing our daily discipline or you can we can call it self-care as well or our our ritual I like to use that word because it's something also that we are lacking generally because we're used to doing whatever we want whenever we want Um, I find that in India so in the ashram we have a big focus on seva and helping maintain the space because we have animals we've got plants we've got a whole colony to look after and then there's a temple there there's also people come for treatments and we have to make medicines we have a lot of things to look after and so we normally and and that's what we do in the in our tradition i guess we can see that that's one of those are the things that we have to do to actually maintain that space so we can continue to practice so Part of being there and part of the, that tradition is to actually every day try and do your best to serve and to go and help in each aspect of you know whatever it is that we need to do. And so, um, in other kaliris, I that don't have an ashram, they would have something different. They they may not even have any of the same things. Actually, they might just go for training and and then that's a completely different thing but in our ashram because we have all of those things there we actually have to maintain them so within the kalari world or within the, let's say the kalari pit when we step in there we we prepare ourselves in i guess the traditional way and and some of the rituals that we do are when we get up we take a, we we bathe ourselves we cleanse ourselves to then start our training we wear our belt, our kacha, to help remember that we're bringing all our energy from the central area. We step in as much as we can with a peaceful mind and we go to the southwest corner and we do some kind of pranamo prayer and then we also bow to our teacher. And that is part of... We do that here. uh, I encourage we do that here as well. Um, And when we bow... It's not just we're bowing to our teacher, our teachers bowing back to us in the same way of thank you for coming. And I'm um, giving back respect to you the same way. So we, we try to have less hierarchy within that space as well, which I really appreciate and love as well. So I guess that's one aspect of the tradition and also the ritual or the the things that we do. And and for me, yeah, that's something that's important as well, So maintaining that. And, of course, I can't do that specifically here in a kalari because I don't have a kalari pit and my teacher's not in front of me. But I call my teacher uh, as much as I can to maintain contact when I'm not actually physically there. And we're always using that terminology of pranam and speaking, asking questions to hear his opinion. Um, and that's something also just very sensitive, I think, thing in in Indian tradition, maybe color tradition as well, when you have a master or guru or somebody that you're learning from, then you give, you, you're there to hear what they have to say, uh, not to specifically argue or, or discuss something. It's more about asking a question to hear what is the wisdom they're going to impart. That's surely a big part of the tradition uh, because we're stepping into their realm or stepping into what a space that we're there to absorb the knowledge from. So, and, and maintaining that open kind of uh, line of communication and, and respect. And then that's when, you know, you see a lot of time, one of the traditional things you do is when you see your teachers, you go and you bow, you might, some people might touch their feet. Um, The teacher will put their hand on top of their, your head and, give you a blessing and they're trying to keep that circle of energy going. They're paying respect to you. Thank you for coming to me to learn. And I'm going to also give you that. So it's, you know, and it's, it's of course going to be um, uh, seen in so many different ways, that kind of tradition. But but that's something that I, I um, like to do. I feel a lot of connection with.
0: Well, you know, a lot of people might perceive that from the outside as being almost a submission, Mm. but, you know, this relationship that we have with our teachers, it's really that Guru Shadha, that that faith and that trust in not only that teacher as a human being, because they're still a human being, but in the, the whole lineage that comes before them. And yeah the teachings itself like they're just that vessel and that's what we're essentially honoring and um you know it, it's not submission it's not ignorance but it's it's a great sense of faith and trust in not only that teacher but in the teachings themselves that are coming through and I yes. think it's really helpful for people to have kind of had that discernment particularly from the outside looking sort of from the outside in particularly with respect to indian culture and and whatnot i don't know if that resonates for you or not yeah
1: absolutely yeah
0: so um, on the note of, let's say, we're t- bringing in ritual and self-care, I'd love to know for you on a personal level, what does that what does that look like for you, particularly with all the modalities and the knowledge that
1: you are involved in? Um, well, I like to think about self-care and ritual. That's what you asked, yes? Uh, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. so the night before. So that's a big part of when I think about it, even when I talk to my clients and students, I'm always thinking, this, today's ritual doesn't begin today, it begins yesterday or today for tomorrow. And so thinking about what I'm going to eat, um, what my training might look like when I'm going to do my pranayama, that's all starts on the day before. And it might not be in the morning and usually in the afternoon or the evening I'll start thinking about that. And then, you know, something that I do in the morning is usually waking up and cleansing my mouth and then drinking some warm water, I have a chai, and then I start my training. Um and that could be a mixture of um, pranayama and also kalari and some yoga as well. Then usually I'm having um you know uh, my breakfast and starting my day and I'm and and that to me actually because I a lot of time we're looking at self care and people are like, oh, yeah, I go for a massage once a month and that's my self care. For me, I think it's about actually a daily commitment to doing the things that I know put me back in balance. Uh, and and again, it might be that I have to rush out and do something, or I have to go give a class or do something else, and that will take my routine off. But then I usually will s- s- try to come back to something that I'm supposed that I had planned to do later in the day. So. Hmm. In terms of self care, those are important things. Developing a, a routine, which probably sounds all of a sudden I'm trying to think that sounds very disciplined. Um, that I've got those <laughs> kind of things that I like to do. Um, and but but yeah, they're important. I, you know, now the weather has changed in Melbourne, so taking a warm shower, um, doesn't have to be for too long, but maybe once or twice a day as well. It's really important to keep my body warm. Uh, that's a really important part of my self-care and then looking at yeah what I'm putting in my mouth that's super important to me um so I I you know try my best to eat for my body type and what's going on in my life at the moment as well and um yeah exposing myself to really you know good kind of sounds some because I'm a musician as well so listening to Um, music and and playing is also really important so they're things that I Mm. thoroughly enjoy doing and try to also keep as part of my own self-care so and then you know for me it's I mean important is to do massage as well I do some of my own self-massage but I also am very much into going to get some treatment a lot of time I will go once. When I go to India, I'll usually take a 7, 14 or 21 day treatment when I'm there. So massage every day, different types of treatments every day. And and that's mm. yeah really important. And then another really important thing, especially now that I've been doing is really feeling that sense of gratitude. Um, coming from, you know, seeing lots of different things in my whole life in third world countries and other places in the world where there's not that much I feel fortunate to have had that exposure at a young age and um, really just sitting into thinking about what I've got uh, and how I can help uh, myself and other people as well. Um, and, And that is actually one of the high priority things that I'm trying to do on a daily basis these days.
0: It's interesting because I've been doing some direct study with Dr. Robert Svoboda lately and, you know, he often says, no matter what's happening in your life, things could always be worse. Things could always be worse. (laughs) And, and, you know, and this is what, you know, things that come through his teacher as well, just always remain calm. Things could always be worse. And, you know, and that's the thing when we're really wanting to be grateful. There's always, always something to be grateful for. And that really anchors us back into that stability and that stable Mind as well, but I, I really appreciate your wisdom of, you know, it, the daily routine or the morning routine, the self care care really begins the night before, and and it does. It's even if it's as simple as like, oh, okay, remembering you've got to soak your lentils for you know your dal the next day or your kitchen or something like that. But that that you know that intention. And a beautiful friend of mine, she started this um, practice. Oh, last year and she said every before I go to bed at night I'm always unpacking the dish rack so I walk into the kitchen in the morning and everything's clear and it sounds pretty simple and dry but the effects of that Mm. On her nervous system in the morning has obviously been really profound. So it's like these little things that we can do the night before, mm. particularly if we have a really set kind of routine as to what we want to do or a practice that we need to do. Um, and as a mum myself, I can think, yes, that definitely makes so much sense, like to do things the night before, you know? So there's immense value in that, absolutely. Yeah. Is there uh, something, so just transitioning here a little bit, on the note of studentship, what do you, I know that you were reading Dr David Frawley's book at the moment and you spoke to that but you know what do you really feel like you're immersed in learning or studying even informally at the moment what's just yeah of interest to you right now
1: yeah i'm i'm really actually interested in this connection between our the um, i guess eastern and western kind of approach to looking at the body and then actually the marma points so at which points um, at, at certain points, like what what's actually there, what's the the actual anatomy and physiology and trying to make sense of how on a physical level or on a medical, I guess, using medical terminology, what that actually means and how it can mm-hmm. affect different parts of the body. So that's that's been really interesting. There's um, a couple of books that I'm looking at to try and look into that a bit deeper. Uh, so that's that's been on my mind. It's been on my mind for a couple of years, but I'm getting a lot more interested in it now.
0: So it's more that you're overlaying, sort of trying to um, draw together the subtle body with the physical body and see yeah. what those parallels are. Yeah, that's cool.
1: Yeah, and also, I mean, there there are some people that, and, um, you know, Vasant Lad and also Depthroli have looked into, and when they're explaining, you know, different points of the body, um, they and then there's one book as well the the marma points and reflexology so uh and, and ac- acupuncture points and 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 they're actually put together the acupuncture and the marma points together and and they've done a really good job of that but um yeah really just looking at you know how they can be explained but then yeah where they are and i think something that we don't see a lot of is understanding you know when we're looking at a marma point why that might, you know, putting pressure on that point or different kind of oil or whatever it is would actually help a specific ailment or help Mm. something going on in the body. And so being able to actually explain that has been something that I'm trying to get deeper into. Um, I'm also going through a couple of injuries at the moment and um, uh, working through them and so... Trying to develop more awareness and and more knowledge on how to go about rehabilitation. Yeah, those, those are the, probably the main things that I'm I'm studying at the moment, actively. Um, and then also, yeah, I'm I'm actually just got initiated into some other weapons uh, when I was in India this year. Oh, wow. So spear kundam is one, and uh, so I've been trying to get deeper in that training so that's something a bit different but really interesting for me
0: (laughs) that comes back to that concept of tradition you you wait until the teacher gives you you know what you're given whereas in the west we're just so used to going I want to do that so I'm going to do that yes which is interesting speaking of teachers um you know when you consider your entire life who would you feel would probably have been your greatest influence or mentor or teacher however you want to understand this question, but who's that significant person that's really, you know, made a change or a big influence on your path?
1: Mm, that's interesting. Um, well, there's probably a couple. Can I have a couple or can I, can I have one? <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, go for
1: it. I would say Swamiji, my mother and father, those three together. Uh, Swamiji, so Satguru, Das, my teacher, Kalalipaya teacher in India. I mean, I've been so fortunate. I've had so many amazing teachers. Uh, Oh, so many amazing students that are have been such great teachers to me as well even in the last couple of years but those guys so my, my mother father and then and swamiji have probably been the people that have really helped me in the last couple of years the last 10 years to put in these little pieces of wisdom that have helped me on my path and yeah they they three together actually in between them and taking the wisdom between them and then understanding that or deciphering the information that I'm getting and then acting on that has really helped guide me. So, yeah, they're all super different people but all bring in such different kind of information to my life and mentorship. I'm so lucky to have them. So,
0: It's a great blessing to have your teacher in India too because, you know, it's (sighs) – to have a real master that you can learn directly from in person is huge and is quite rare, really, particularly with, a, a you know, a traditional art form for sure, an ancient art form really. Yeah. So um, it's such a gift, absolutely. Um, I would love to ask you a few little simple rapid questions, if that's yeah. all right. Um, what's your favourite sound?
1: Didgeridoo.
0: Oh, cool. Didgeridoo. Yeah, nice. Yep.
1: Wow. Yep, absolutely, yeah.
0: What's your favourite place? It doesn't have to be geographical.
1: Oh, I would say, yeah, no, actually a location, yeah, Brazil. Probably my favourite place, yeah. I mean, that's a big place, but yeah, lots of different points mm. there, yeah.
0: What's your daily non-negotiable?
1: Morning chai. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's a great Great, non-negotiable. Uh, what is your absolute favorite go-to meal or food?
1: Ooh, right now it's a these turmeric uh, sweet potato noodles with uh, like a, a Chinese broccoli and a uh, uh, what is it that uh, macadamia cheese like on that? It's oh, like super yum. yummy. All all available from this beautiful store called Terra Madre here. Um, in Melbourne where they've got everything natural and organic and stuff. But that's, yeah, loving this turmeric sweet noodle, uh, sweet potato noodles. So yummy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Kichidi, kitch, of course, a second. Kichidi, surely <laughs> a second. That's like the, I can make that in like half an hour flat, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm. That's a staple.
1: Yeah, there's a staple. That's a weekly staple.
0: Awesome. In light of COVID and everything going online and, and whatnot, um, what is coming up in the pipeline for you, maybe personally, professionally, um, what are you doing teaching-wise, workshops? What's the, what's the plan? What's happening now and what's the plan for the future?
1: Well, um, we're we just doing, we, we've got uh, weekly classes right now. Uh, right now we're just focusing on the intermediate students and then in two weeks we'll be starting beginners classes. So that's going to be great. We currently got some free Sunday classes going as well. So just kind of introductory sessions for Coloury Pipe, so beginners level, um, but everyone's welcome for those. And then in a couple of weeks, we'll start a beginner series. And I would like to do some physical workshops in New South Wales, hopefully, um, and Queensland. And uh, also might do some Coloury Yoga Workshops as well, so online at this stage. Uh, I'm planning to, I'm currently renovating a van uh, with my partner, and we are hopefully going to be driving north soon. So I'm going to be taking a lot of, uh, doing a lot of work online, a lot of teaching online, and consulting online as well. And I would like to develop a membership portal where people can come and also have classes that are recorded or sessions recorded and then kind of tailored to different levels as well. So that's kind of what I'm slowly working on to then be able to move around and then still continue to share from beautiful locations, of course, um, in the background Mm -hmm. rather than indoors. And, yeah, and then hopefully we can get, like, if things, you know, open up, we can get a retreat happening soon. Um, Nice. Yep. And, That'd be fantastic. Yeah, international is what I had planned to do actually. So go to Europe or somewhere and uh, do some retreats and uh, workshops and that would be infusing colorie treatments and also martial arts as well. And then, you know, love teaming up with other people and practitioners as well to kind of co-collaborate. Yeah.
0: Yeah, great. That sounds really exciting. So basically for anybody listening... Wherever you live in Australia right now, they can essentially do classes with you online at the moment yep. um, and particularly starting off with maybe like a free Sunday class or yeah. something, which yeah. is great. Yeah. So these are the blessings for COVID lockdown. We get to access all the good stuff that we may not have otherwise been able to access, which is that in itself is is wonderful, you know. Oh, yeah. So, But we would love to have you come back up the coast. That would be awesome. Yeah. Well, so it's – Just posted on that.
1: It's secretly going to be happening soon. <laughs> It's Got to be secret because you know what's going on now, but yeah.
0: toes and fingers crossed. Okay, you can keep us in the loop. Um, so where can the listener find you? What's the best website or social media that you, yeah, that you're using?
1: Uh, the uh tag on on Instagram, so it's just color healing, and then that will the the bio there will take you to color to healing.com, and then you just go to color movement and color online tab, and then that will take you to the class to register for the classes um and then the book online in the calorie treatments will take you to consult as well if anybody's interested in that so yeah colortyhealing.com is basically the website that you can find everything and also be in contact with me directly which everyone okay, is welcome to do Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah great awesome well thank you so much it's been such a joy to have you and i i feel really inspired and it's i kind of wish we lived closer
1: i know oh i gosh. know i know well so
0: nice to immerse in all the goodness
1: yep yeah, yeah well yeah like i said i'm moving north so yeah it shouldn't be too long yeah. good news
0: for all of us yeah <laughs> oh well thank you so much again it's been such a pleasure to have you and have you. this dialogue and hopefully you can we can spread the um just the the beauty and the joy of yet another incredible, you know, art form from India. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you so much. If this episode was of value to you and your life, please subscribe. And if you can think of someone who would benefit from this dialogue, please do them a favour and send it their way. If you feel called, hop on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. This is the best way to get these conversations into the ears and hearts of our wider community, to those who need it most. You can find me at amielandry.com or over on Instagram at amyelandry. May we all move a little closer to a life living in alignment.